Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tailgate Kings, where it's a uh, it's a little lonely today, is there's just the two of us, Jay. There's it's just the two of us. I feel like a Will Smith song. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Casey now him and his wife. It's just the three of us for them because they have a brand new baby. So, uh, yeah, when you got a new kid, you gotta stay home. I, I wish more people took maternity and paternity leave and had time with their kids. I think it's an awesome thing. Congratulations, Casey. Exactly. You know, Casey. Um, yeah, Casey and Tristan. Congratulations on the new the new bouncing baby boy. That uh, what is it? Saturday, I think officially was it Saturday the official day? Saturday or Sunday? But uh. Something like that, yes. Yeah, Spencer, but last Spencer weekend. Gray. Congratulations there, and uh, and and Chad is also prepping with his children right now as Lake Charles is getting ready to shut down for a very very cold Mardi Gras weekend uh, coming up. So uh, it's going to be icy up there. And uh, Jay, you know all about the snow. Is uh, obviously you're uh, you're sledding around in it with uh, with Finn up there. Yeah, my kids have been sledding. We got uh, over a foot of snow this week. So. Uh, we have been snow sledding and, and, and making snowmen and snowball fights and lots of hot cocoa too. It's been quite the good experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I feel so out of the loop over here, man. I, it's it's been a shorts weather for me, so I even got a little bit too much sun yesterday. So. <laughs> out in the desert. All right, so here we go, Jay. It's been a Super Bowl, man. We had a we had a Super Bowl that it didn't live up to expectation. I guess I'll say is that is that too far uh, far to go? Oh, that's not too far at all. And, you know, I said this going into the game. People keep just kept saying, this is the best matchup since Marino-Montana. And I kept telling them, you don't want Marino-Montana. Did you see that game? All right, because the 49ers defense, particularly that secondary with Ronnie Lott, just shut down Dan Marino. People forget that. They look at it on paper and think it was good. The Dolphins only put up 16 points. And the Niners secondary just shut down uh, Mark Clayton, Mark Duper, the two marks like that, that high powered Dolphins offense shut down. And we saw the same thing here with the Bucks secondary shutting down Kelsey and Hill, which nobody saw happening. It was a total Marino Montana experience, but in all the wrong ways. Man, you know, I, I, when we talked about this game before, I kept pressing on the defense, pressing on the defense. I told you this was going to be a defensive battle, how the defenses matched up, how those O-lines matched up. And we really saw how much Kansas City, their, their decimated O-line really hurt them. But even so, knowing that I took the Chiefs going into this game, because I thought that Mahomes would have a Michael Jordan-esque type game. It wouldn't, the O-line wouldn't matter. And I, I'd argue, Jay, that he kind of did. It's just that Kelsey and, 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 and Hill and some other guys, uh, uh, with Daryl Williams on one pass as well, Kind of let him down like he didn't have his role players in this game. Is, you is know, that... this, this was, this was a, a LeBron type thing. There have been some LeBron uh, Cavs team. You might remember when LeBron and the Cavs lost to the Warriors. I think it was 2016. And uh, Della Nadova, who had been a second stringer, was, was raised up because of all the injuries. And he was puking on the bench during the game. So, right? so uh, you had a similar experience. I, I don't want to put too much on the Kansas City O-line here, though. Because if you, if you watch that game, you'll remember in the first and second quarter, that O-line looked fine, but they were double-teaming Hill. They were double-teaming Kelsey. And what they did is they allowed the O-line to pass block for Mahomes, but Mahomes had nowhere to throw it, and they kept him in a pocket. He had no choice but to skirt out. He'd skirt out for eight. He'd skirt out for three. He'd skirt out to ten. But that only allowed to do a couple field goals. And what we saw the Tampa Bay defense do is the equivalent of what we often see your Tennessee Titans offense do. You know, we, we're, we're used to how a strong run game works, where you run the ball throughout the first half, just run it. You might get three yards, you might get two, you might get three, but you run it. And then the third and fourth quarter, that defense wears down. Well, what we saw Tampa Bay do 
is they built a pocket for Mahomes to stay in, so he had to throw it or skirt it and couldn't get too many yards, and they wore down that O-line. And then their halftime adjustment was just to add pressure. You know, the, the difference between how that defense rushed Mahomes in the first half and the second was insane, and they were just running right through that offensive line. The way you've seen Derrick Henry break off 15- and 20-yard runs, well, Tampa Bay was breaking off 15- and 20-yard sacks in that third and fourth quarter because that offensive line was worn down. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant game plan by Todd Bowles executed perfectly. I, I just wonder, though, I mean, those, those throws that Mahomes made, those were unreal. Come on, those they, they, on the side, like you know, falling, falling, you know, avoiding the sack, throwing it sidearm, thirty yards down the field, right into Daryl Williams' face mask. You know, I mean, I, I, I think I think Mahomes was so impressive in some ways that that Hill and Williams and these guys, I don't know if they were ready for some of these balls to actually be catchable. <laughs> well, yeah, but there also just weren't a lot of catchable balls, honestly. I mean, there there's some glimmering moments there for Mahomes, but overall. This was the worst day of his career, um, not just because he lost, but because of his performance. No, nobody could get open for him. Uh, he, he would make time, but by the end of the game, he was just running backwards. You know, it's just that simple. Sometimes you get beat. He just got flat out beat. Look, Tampa Bay did everything we expected Tampa Bay to do. Kansas City didn't live up to, to their side of the bargain here. It's that simple. There is just, there is no question about who the better team was. I always wonder, you know, like, you know, uh, game flow and whatnot. If, if, if Tyreek Hill catches maybe that pass in the end zone off his helmet, you know, does it change the, the game flow at all? Does it give a new life? And, and it was just kind of surprising to see, to see some of the drops. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from the, from the Tampa Bay defense. They, they had it written up. You know, Todd Bowles had uh, a game plan that he was going to execute, and they executed it to a T. It's been 50 years since a team did not score a touchdown in the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> That's that's it's crazy man yeah no it's crazy and 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 even even in garbage time there at the end i'm sitting there you know um just because you know you play the uh you play the squares you know you you, you know you play right, the right and i need it i need i'm like tampa i mean if uh if, if they go and get a trash if kansas city gets a trash touchdown there at the end i win the final quarter if they don't go for two you know if they don't decide right, oh right, we're just right, gonna yeah. we're gonna go for two just because you know i'm like oh go 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 get the uh and then uh interception there at the end so yeah no just uh, that was probably the most shocking thing. I mean, if, if you had told me that Patrick Mahomes would be in the Super Bowl and not score a touchdown in any way, shape, or form, no, no rushing touchdown for the team, no, no offensive touchdown ac across the board, I don't know if I believed it, Jake. So unheard of, there's not even a prop bet on it, right? There's a prop bet on everything, <laughs> but there's no prop bet. Will Kansas City not score a touchdown? Right. It, it, unthinkable. So, so D wins championships. That was the big takeaway for me, for me, is that defense still wins championships. So Jay, we've now we're here, man. Tom Brady, you know he, uh, I guess he takes St Stephen Diggs' uh, position for me as the best, you know, off-season move. You know, um, what happens now, though? I mean, does does Brady come back to Tampa Bay? Does he bring or keep Gronk, and uh, does he keep you know Antonio Brown there? Is 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 there a nucleus staying in Tampa Bay, or does you know Tom Brady decide he's gonna you know stand up and now? move to one of these other 30 teams because <laughs> everybody it seems like needs a quarterback or is willing to move their quarterback even even Russell Wilson's complaining in Seattle it's strange yeah I think Brady stays in Tampa I think he I, another takeaway from this for me is that super teams work in the NFL we see these in the NBA all the time we see there was the Heat and then the Warriors and then the Lakers last year now we even have the Nets this year right and baseball we've seen this for centuries the Pittsburgh Pirates got their name because they were the first team to pirate players away from other teams when their contracts would end they, they, they basically figured out free agency before there was a term for it, right? The Yankees are always a super team. 
I think Brady, not only is it amazing he put this super team together, but they did it with two guys that would have been out of the league otherwise. Gronk would still be slinging CBD oil, right? And Antonio Brown would probably be in court, right? He wouldn't right, be doing right, it. Yeah. Right, right, like, yeah. Like, his lawyers have been able to delay some of these trials because he has to work, but uh, he's, got, he's gonna have to face the music at some point, right? So not only did it work, but it worked with this cast and crew and in an off season where there was no off season. There were like no OTAs, there was a pandemic. So their chemistry, they don't even have a year of chemistry together. They don't even have six months of chemistry together. Oh my goodness, you give this team, wow, another, another year. And they don't really have cap issues. I, I totally expect Godwin to end up with the Patriots next year. They're, they're, they don't really need to keep him now, right? I know he was like a first round draft pick, but you can let him go. You, you, that team, is, its nucleus is in one piece. Where anybody else ends up though, I don't even know, <laughs> right? I have no clue where Wilson will be. I have no clue where Watson will be. I have no clue where Mariota will be. Everything else is up in the air basically, except for maybe Brady. Yeah, I mean, even your Steelers in some ways, you know, I mean, we're assuming Big Ben's going to be back, but but to what capacity, you know, and with the Saints, you know, and Drew Brees, we're hearing, you know, Drew Brees wants to come back, but yet again, to to what capacity, or or is this maybe to drive up the Taysom Hill price, you know, so so Sean Payton can get a good price on Taysom Hill? I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's just, there's, we're going to see, I guess I, I said this before in a previous episode that that every quarterback on every team, basically, besides like four in the playoffs, because we've even seen uh, the Rams, you know, get rid of golf. We're seeing the Bears not sure about uh, Trubisky. So even playoff teams not sure about quarterbacks. Obviously, the Colts no longer having Phillip Rivers. I mean, is this the most uncertainty at quarterback we've ever seen in uh, in the NFL? It probably is, you know, and I think with the success of this Tom Brady Super Tampa Bay Bucks team, this first NFL Super team to work in just one season. I think we're going to see more of it. We're going to see, you know, the NFL is a, is a copycat league and we're going to see more teams imitate that, that take. We're going to see more people trying to, you know, uh, uh, ride the quarterback carousel and see if they can, if they can land on the right color there. Right. So yeah, I, I expect major changes. I, I, I bet more than half the teams will have different quarterbacks this year. Do you think this also leads to uh, to shorter contracts? I mean, that's something that Chad is a big proponent of. And we've seen, you know, with golf, I'm sure L.A. would have loved to have not made that long deal. Um, we're seeing with Watson and Houston, you know, right now. I mean, uh, it, it, are we going to see shorter, maybe two-year deals, or are we still going to – is this going to change the landscape of how we structure contracts for quarterbacks? Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the pandemic and the economy is also changing that structure now, too. Like, we are going to see shorter – we're going to see shorter contracts for quarterbacks uh, like Mariota, uh, maybe even like uh, uh, Russell Wilson – but we're, we're going to continue to see those epic 10 and 12 year deals for, for guys like Mahomes. You know what I mean? Like your, your top four or five guys are always going to get that. We want to lock you up for your entire career thing. But anybody who's not in the top five or six is probably going to float around a lot. I mean, look at, look at these first round picks. Uh, uh, Wentz is changing teams. Like you noted, uh, uh, Goff has changed teams. Watson's changing teams. Those guys were all in the same draft. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, those first rounders are all playing musical chairs. And you're right, teams are getting burnt on these big deals. Unless you know you have a guy like Mahomes or, you know, if you're going to get Watson, you know you have a guy who has that ability. Unless you're sure of it, yeah, shorter contracts. That's the answer. Yeah, no, it seems to be, you know, at some point we, we got like in this, we're going to continue to pay quarterbacks ridiculous amounts of money as Flacco, I think, like maybe was one of the first guys to get like ridiculous money. And then, you know, went all the way to golf and Wentz. And now it, people are shrugging their shoulders going, where where'd all this money go? We're gonna have all this dead cap space and whatnot. 
So I really feel like this is going to change maybe, you know, the, the idea of how much we give a quarterback or just, you know, because you're the next one to get signed for a four-year contract. You're going to get the, the $500 million signing. Yeah, it works out for quarterbacks too. Quarterbacks and most football players nowadays knowing what the average NFL career is like two and a half, three and a half years. It's not a short, most guys don't make it that long. People are looking for the guaranteed money. So you can give them less and guarantee it and not be tied down. And with the economy like this and stadiums basically empty, even the Super Bowl is 25% capacity, teams don't have the same money they did, right? So it, it's, it's just the right response for the time, not just for the teams, but for the QBs as well, because take less, but get all that guaranteed because you never know when one play is going to end your career. So speaking of careers ending or careers changing, well, like I said, we'll shift away from quarterbacks for just a second because J.J. Watt has, uh, has officially been released or is going to be released from the Texans. Uh, Lisa, this is a team that's, that's been in all sorts of problems. If you haven't read the Jake Easterby uh, articles and whatnot about this guy's rise to power and everything, it's just – it has to be one of the, one of the most interesting stories in the NFL um, just on, uh, that's off the field. Um, so, Jay, they're, they're, they're letting Watt go. They're letting him go to try to <laughs> get on a championship-caliber team. And it seemed to be, you know, no real issue, you know, letting Watt go. They're not apparently wanting to trade Watson. Do, do you see – Deshaun Watson ending up on another team by, by the start of next season, or is this, is this going to be something we're waiting for the draft maybe, or or is Houston going to stick to their guns and and Watson's going to end up you know sitting out or yada yada yada, but Watson's going to be Houston Texan next year. Well, first off, let me say I'm happy as a Steelers fan to see the release of J.J. Watt. We know he wants to play on a great pass rushing defense, the best pass rushing defense in football has been in Pittsburgh for three years, and his two brothers are part of it. So, right? So uh, there's a pretty high percentage shot J.J. Watt, despite calf issues, finds his way into Pittsburgh, which is exciting for me. That actually directly pertains to the Watson thing, though. You want to convince Watson to stay, but you don't want to convince Watt to stay? Um, <laughs> right, right, right? Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I know there's calf issues, but that, if you, like, I thought, okay, maybe the new management, like, and there's been so much churn, so much overturn within the, the Texans team lately. I thought for sure, hey, if you're trying to, to, to stick with Watson, that's great. And then you just agree to let Watt go uh, without even trying a trade before you ran out of time there. I don't know how you're keeping him now. Where before I thought, well, maybe they'll, they'll pay it off. And if nothing else, they were playing it smart before. People were like, oh, why are they saying they won't trade Watson when we know they will? Well, you always say that because you want to drive up the price. And if there's a chance of keeping a guy this good that you've made mad, you try to keep him, right? So they've been playing it perfectly. But then when they didn't trade Watt and then they just let him go as the clock expired, ouch. Now, now it's just it's such bad mismanagement. It's amazing. So, yeah, I think he ends up somewhere else. But I'll tell you what, I expect a holdout first. I don't think it happens a- until training camp. Oh, wow. Okay, so you think it's going to it's gonna take that long? Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if it was going to be a holdout, you know, or like, you know, if we're going to – Exactly. See- the Texans have messed up so bad that they will find a way to screw this up. And the only way you can really, <laughs> really screw this up is to bring it into a holdout where you basically have to give him away for nothing. So I'm expecting that to happen. Yeah, no, you got to love it. You know, it, it, it's like, hey, man, you're the only guy we really want, Deshaun. We're getting rid of everybody else. We're gonna- <laughs> Can you catch the ball after you throw it to Yeah, exactly. Can you play some defense? Because you're all we want, Deshaun. You're it. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, it no, no, doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I was waiting, you know, because I, I was talking to Chad about it, and his Niners, I'm like, look, man, just make a trade, Garoppolo and Bosa for Watson and Watt, you know? Bam for bam. It's a picks, maybe, obviously. And uh, I thought that would be a pretty good move, you know? But, 
I, I, I did not expect them just to straight up just release one. I figured, you know, they'd try to get something for him. So that's, yeah. Two weeks ago, people were talking about them weighing trade options, and today they just released them. It, it does not make sense at all. I mean, they could have got a little something out of that, or like you said, throw it, throw it in a Watson deal. They're just, it's so mismanaged in Houston. I, I feel sorry for their fans. Like I said, go read the Jake Easterby article. Uh, there, there's a few of them out there about his rise to power, and it's just, it'll make your jaw drop. It's just, it's just crazy what's happened. And and I was listening to this, uh, another uh, another interview on the on the topic, and they said, look, they go the McNairs, they had they 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 put all their smart family members in the other businesses. They go Cal. <laughs> They're not worried about the football team, Kyle. You know, they're they're letting you know the 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 dumb brother, I guess, run the football team or something. So I, I don't know how far to take that, but but I mean, it's well, something this to is think classic, about. Classic, Matt. Though this is what we've seen a lot, and, and on all major sports. As a Pirates fan growing up in Pittsburgh, I saw it for twenty straight seasons. Your team can be profitable with a losing product if you have a nice stadium, nice merchandise. You're one of the only tickets in town. Not you know, there's only thirty two teams that have thirty two towns that have NFL teams. Man, you go to a Packers game, you'll see license plates from every county in Wisconsin. People drive from hundreds of miles around, right? Uh, uh, you can make money without a winning product. The sad fact of the matter is some owners take advantage of that. Yeah, and, and I think now in the 21st century, there's, there's a lot of media out there that's like, look, you can see that Houston's not trying, and I think Houston's paying attention too. So if you're the Jags or the Jets, because you got the one and two pick in this quarterback carousel, Jay, is there any quarterback that you'd – give up the top two picks for not that's not Deshaun Watson now I mean is there is there any guy out there or, or any trade that you could see being made I mean or how do the Jags move off these picks or the Jets move off these picks I don't know if I'm the Jags or the Jets if I even want Watson now I figure New York might want to make a splash now that Watson's definitely out the door he might end up there don't be surprised if OBJ ends up with the Jets too they have picks and space and Cleveland needs to unload that contract and I'm sure OBJ would like to go back as a Jet instead of a Giant and Watson there. So that might be a surprise thing to look out for, for a Watson OBJ Jet splash move. But I think if you're the Jags or the Jets and you have some common sense, which neither team does, um, uh, you want a young guy to build around because these are both teams in total rebuild mode, basically. The Jags are ahead of the Jets on the rebuild. I like their offensive line. I like where their defense is heading. I think the Jags are headed in the right direction. They're a step ahead. But I still want a younger QB. Uh, you know, I, I think you use that number one pick on Trevor Lawrence because you're going to get more mileage out of him than Watson. And while I like Watson, love him, wouldn't argue with him on my team for sure. I'll take him over Big Ben any day. He's a mobile quarterback halfway through his career and a knee injury seems almost eminent to me. I'd rather have a pocket guy like Lawrence. I know people like they prefer mobile quarterbacks, but give me a pocket passer anyway. It's just going to last me a longer time. I'm with you on a lot of respects. I don't know why the Jags are – I don't know why that just – the organization is so dysfunctional i mean they were just in the afc championship game i feel like two or three years ago yep. and and now they've just fallen apart to the point you know jalen ramsey's requesting the trade out you know last season and, and fournette you know cut this season albeit james robson perfectly good replacement and then you look at the jets and i'm really curious what they're going to become under robert Salah because we've seen that you know um adam adam gase perennially underperforms with, with with whatever talent he's given it seems you know yeah, all these other guys a bad run yeah so i mean i i don't know what to take away from either of these two teams i want to believe that they're not as bad as they they seem you know in some ways the jags feel like they might be a quarterback away you know garner Minshew, you know like him or not how you feel about the mustache he, he can't stay healthy for the most part so watson be really interesting there and then the jets 
Same with Sam Donald, man. I haven't known about Sam Donald since what he got mono last season or something, and it's like he's never been the same. Yeah, he tripped over his own feet <clears throat> on like a 50-yard run to the end zone this year, or I guess a 45-yard run. He didn't quite make it to the end zone. Like some of these guys, just they, they aren't the answer. And I think the Jets are discovering with that with Darnold. I think the Bears have discovered that with Trubisky. I, I think you got to be careful about who you draft in the first round. I think unless you can get a guy like Trevor Lawrence that feels pretty reliable, he's got a good career. Uh, you know, you get Joe Burrow, that's fine. But too many people waste first-round picks on quarterbacks. You know, a lot of people ask me about how I felt about the big Ben Haskins thing for a year, and I'm like, I'm fine with it. There, There's outside of Lawrence who we're not going to get. There's not a quarterback in this draft I'm in love with. There's not a Mahomes or an Allen in this draft. Sometimes you, you, you got to wait your time. Uh, so I, I think smart teams need to, you know, draft more O-linemen. I mean, how many times do we see these teams like the Browns for years draft a great quarterback who gets killed? Uh, the Bengals, they drafted Burrow, then no lineman. Burrow's now laid up with a busted leg, right? <laughs> right? Like, like teams need to be a little bit more sensible. They want the splash pick in the first round, but sometimes you just got to bide your time until you can get the right guy. Yeah, no, you, you've got to build correctly. I'm totally with you on that. And too many times these guys come in because you'll have a perennially underperforming team. You know, the Jags aren't the number one pick because they're, they're great all the time. The Jets, <laughs> right. the Jets have been awful for a while, so these guys are expected to come in and make some splashy moves because the, most of them won't last three years, you know. But you got to imagine somebody like Urban Meyer or kind of like what we've seen with, with Gruden over, over here in Vegas, you know. Yeah. He, he knows he's got 10 years. And everybody's like, man, Gruden's ahead of the curve. You think Gruden has his quarterback he wants? No. Carr's on the, on the chopping block. Mariota is, is on the trade block as well. You know, look, Gruden doesn't have his quarterback, but he hasn't been drafting because the quarterback hasn't, hasn't shown up yet. You know, so he's been building the team in other ways and, and has built a pretty strong team that's maybe a quarterback and two players away from being uh, very much a challenge there in the, in, in the AFC West. So it's just, you know, these guys going to have enough time. You know, Salaga, I mean, you assume Urban Meyer is going to have time in the Jags to maybe build it, you know, three, four seasons. But what about Salah up there in Jets land? You know, if he doesn't make a splash pick at number two or something, you know, how long are the Jets going to sit there and like this guy two, three seasons in if they're still four and 12, you know, next year? Yeah, I think if you're the Jets, there's an opportunity to do both here. They have like four first-round picks, or I think, no, I'm sorry, it's four first-round, four picks between the first and five picks between the first and second round. They, they have so much ammunition to trade that they can literally draft good linemen and still trade for Watson and OBJ. So I, I think the Jets could are the one team that can get away with this. Other teams, not so much. Of course, you know, you've heard the other OBJ rumor this morning, right? No, no. <laughs> OBJ and Brady, baby. <laughs> everybody, well, I, I don't everybody. I enough of a pay cut, unfortunately. Uh, otherwise, I'd believe it. I mean, who knows, man? You want, if you want to play with Brady, you want to play with Brady. So, so Jay, if we say that Brady and uh, his success was the biggest surprise uh, of this season in some ways, uh, going to a new team, as you said, no OTAs, no nothing, bringing in all, that, all, all those guys and whatnot. But I don't think anybody could have predicted the Super Bowl would have actually come to Tampa. You got a bombshell prediction for next season, uh, you know, or, or, or something that's going to happen in this offseason, you know? Uh, like I, I said, don't know. If, like, would anything surprise you at this point? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, there's so much moving and shaking. The NFL feels more like the NBA lately with these crazy, insane trades. But, yeah, I think wherever Russell Wilson lands outside of Seattle will be a shocker. Ah, uh, so you and stole with, it from with, me. That, that, I, like, once, once you threw it back to me, the only thing I could think about was if Russell Wilson actually moves teams. That'd be the one, right? Yeah, and it looks like that's likely. And, and with Dak out of the picture, I, I could see the Cowboys making a, a play for him, and that would be 
just the most ginormous thing ever. And what does Wilson want? A good O-line. And while it's a little bit aging, the Cowboys have a good O-line. And if they can land Wilson, they can draft new O-line guys too and even get a rotation going. And you have Elliott there. I, I, I think that is – I'm not a Cowboys fan, but, hey, hey, hey that's, that's the good play for Wilson and the Cowboys. You know, I, I think it's likely now, and I could be wrong, I think it's likely the Steelers land J.J. Watt, and then suddenly maybe an old man like Ben, a quarterback, isn't bad if you add an other Watt to already the number one passing, pass rushing defense in football. Like, how, how is anybody in the AFC North going to even throw the ball? They're going to be on the ground the whole time, right? Um, and I think whatever the Jets do, I do expect the Jets at this point to suddenly make moves where they land a Watson and someone like OBJ. Uh, I think... Wide receivers are a story people are ignoring because it's such a quarterback-driven league, but, but OBJ is likely to move. Um, I think Godwin is likely to go to New England, and I think it'll be interesting to see who ends up in New England this year uh, as they're finally going to have a little cap freedom in the post-Brady era and see if Belichick can actually uh, get his groove back, so to speak. See, now, now, now you've opened up like three new cans of worms for me, Jay. So let's, let's start with the first one. Dak, we, we kept saying how Dak had all the leverage uh, uh, in, in, in the negotiations with the Cowboys. That's completely changed now, right? I mean, not only with his – The moment he got injured. I mean, even without his injury. I mean, um, I, think, I think the quarterback carousel this offseason completely changes it as well, right? I mean, I feel like Jerry Jones would be – Hey man, I can move Dak and he can move Dak to the Jets, get the number two pick and get Justin Fields, who some people say is like a better version of Dak Prescott even. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Dak, I found Dak to be in, I guess for lack of a better term, a, uh, who's the guy in Minnesota, no, Kirk Cousins situation with the Redskins, where you just knew Cousins was going to end up getting franchised multiple times if he stood, stayed healthy and then have to go somewhere else. See the same thing with Dak here. You just wind up in the situation where the franchise tag is so much money, but the franchise tag is better for the franchise than giving some guy a 10-year deal. Like you've noted, long-term deals, people keep getting burnt on them. So Dak was destined to be franchised, franchised, and wind up somewhere else. Now with the injury, injury he might not even be franchised twice. He's just going to go straight to the end up somewhere else, I'm afraid. And it might be a sign trade, but, but I don't see him staying with the Cowboys at this point. And, and then you mentioned Cousins, and I've heard Cousins maybe uh, reunited with, uh, with Shanahan over there in San Francisco. So, man, this, this quarterback carousel could get really interesting really fast, Jay. I mean, I, got, I, got, I guess you're right. What could be the bombshell? I'm still with you on Russell Wilson, though. If, if, if Russell Wilson actually moves – so you think, he might, you think he's actually going to move from Seattle? You know, when he made – when one comment surfaced when he was on Dan Patrick and he was talking about how, like, oh, you got to ask the Seahawks if I'm on the trade block, not me. If – it felt like an accident. Like Russ let something slip because Dan Patrick's a really great interviewer, right? Like Dan Patrick just gets guys loose and then they slip up and say things they're thinking that they usually wouldn't say in front of the media. But then for the next day to him be on a different show and talk about how displeased he is with the offensive line, uh, now we've got a severed relationship. It wasn't one slip up. Or even if it was a slip up, Russ decided to then make it an issue himself. Like he's making this an issue. Uh, he's basically putting them in a corner where it's like, you guys better trade or draft for a much better offensive line or let me go because I'm not pleased. He's, he's made that pretty clear publicly now. I don't see him staying. And he didn't look happy. If you saw him at that Super Bowl sitting with, uh, with Goodell up there and whatnot, he just he didn't look happy the whole time watching that Super Bowl, even as he won, you know, the Walton Payton Man of the Year. So, yeah, I'm not sure. But I, I just, gosh, I mean, you know, I just couldn't imagine if Russell Wilson wasn't with, with, with uh, Seattle anymore. Like, whereas Stafford leaving the Lions, that makes sense, even though he'd been there for 12 years. Wilson, I guess, maybe because he won the Super Bowl, just it feels like moving on would be way too early. But 
Well, he's won one. He's been to two. They're a perennial playoff team. I can't remember the last time they missed the playoffs. Granted, oftentimes they squeak in in the wild card game. Pete Carroll has the most wild card wins of any coach. So they're often just squeaking in there, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, they've been perennial. And it's rare to see a quarterback split with a team that is always in the playoffs. But if you're getting hit as much as he is, you want out of that mess. Moving on, Hall of Fame class has been announced, Jay, for the, for, for the 2021 uh, year. I got to be honest, this, for me, this is, this is a pretty star-studded Hall of Fame class, albeit, you know, a lot of these guys now, it's good to be guys I, I, I watched, you know, growing up and whatnot, not, not guys I heard about so much. A lot of these guys now are more and more guys I've seen, but, you know, Alan Fanica, you know, Peyton Manning, obviously, John Lynch, who I loved at safety over there for the Broncos, you know. Yeah, wow. Uh, Calvin Johnson, you know, um, Megatron. Uh, Charles Woodson, who stole the Heisman from Peyton Manning. I'll never forget that, you know, <laughs> it's a college thing, but, but Charles Woodson. His maybe, best interception. Yep. Yeah. It may, may, may be one of the, you know, one of the greatest defensive uh, cornerbacks ever to play the game. Just, just a great, great hall of fame class, you know, um, Drew Pearson, uh, Tom Flores as the coach and everything else is, is who stands out the most for you on this list or, or what do you feel about this hall of fame list here, Jay? You know, like I, I can't say anything about this class that hasn't already been said. It's also a double class because guys weren't able to get in last year. So uh, I, I was on a Zoom with the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago with my kids, actually, at NFL History Hall of Fame. They were talking about how they couldn't do it in person in 2020. So now they're having like a double class best of. Uh, it'll be a Steelers-Cowboys game. Uh, it, it's going to be a huge event. So you're going to have not one but two Hall of Fame classes going in at the same time. I think I'll go a little bit off the reservation here. My favorite one this time is Bill Nunn, who was actually a scout uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 70s. And I know that sounds boring because he's not a player, but he was actually the editor of the Pittsburgh Courier, which was a black newspaper at the time. And at that time, most NFL teams would not look at historically black colleges and universities for players. They were, to be frank, too racist in the late 60s and early 70s to consider colleges that were, were, were really designated for African-Americans. And Bill Nunn put out this list in the newspaper, the black newspaper in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Courier, list of the best uh, HBCU athletes in America every year, his top 100. And the Steelers eventually hired him, and they started drafting players from historically black colleges, um, which nobody had thought of at the time. And that's what built the Steelers dynasty, a whole dynasty built on simply not being racist, um, to be honest with you, right? <laughs> and so it's high time that Bill Nunn got into the Hall of Fame for how uh, he really pressed buttons. And he was also, in addition, you know, we hear people talk today about how there aren't enough black coaches. Well, certainly there weren't enough black scouts and, and enough black leadership involved in drafts. And he was the guy who, who kind of opened the floodgates there in the right way uh, and, and getting more African-Americans involved. And at the same time, the NFL merged with the AFL at that time. And the AFL was much more desegregated than the NFL at the time. So the combination of Bill Nunn with the Steelers and the AFL joining is really what made the game as diverse as it is today. And I'm just happy to see him get in. Can't add anything to that, Jay. Perfectly said, my man. Perfectly said. All right. Baseball, pitchers and catchers. We're getting a little closer. We've been hurting trade moves and whatnot. Uh, like I said, players getting to new teams. You know, Trevor Bowers moved. You, you, so you probably have a bigger list than I do, Jay. But the biggest news, I think, this week was that baseball announcing that it's, in fact, deadening the ball. That, that not only is it deadening, deadening the ball, but it's actually announcing it too. Like, you know, I mean, we've been having a feeling that it's been juicing the ball the past few years. They, they haven't come out and never told us they were juicing the ball, but here they're, they're going to let us know they're actually deadening it. So how do you feel about this? You know, 
I can almost care less to a certain extent. Because I don't love baseball. Baseball is my sport. I love it. But I think what they're doing is, I guess, in its own way, smart. They're deadening it just a little bit. They're removing a couple seams. They're separating them out a little bit. The ball will be a little bit looser. It won't bounce as much. It's going to make fielding easier. It's going to stop some home runs. It's also going to affect velocity and spin a little bit. I, I think I think it's going to be the kind of thing that's going to get us to see less strikeouts and less home runs. People are always complaining they want baseball faster, 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 faster. Now and uh, baseball is responding to that by saying, let's deaden the ball a little bit. The game will be faster with less runs, and maybe it will be more interesting. We'll see. But I think this change, which they're thinking will take, you know, I forget what it was. It was like one to three feet off of a, a home run length ball. I don't think it's going to be a huge change. I think another thing is the idea that they're going to tamper with it out in the open when we all know they've been tampering with it on the down low before is it, kind of their way to like test the waters. I don't think it's going to be a huge change. I do think it'll be nice though to see Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge and outfielders rob more home runs. And I think people do like the quicker games. They like the seven inning double headers that they're keeping. They like this kind of speed and pace of play thing. So it may pay off. And if it doesn't impact the game negatively, I expect them to deaden it more the following year. Huh. So you don't see, I, I guess I just assumed that, that, that dating the ball is going to, going to put more balls into play, you know, in general. So, so there'd be more actions. I, I, I guess we've become a long ball or, or a strikeout league in, in the last couple of years, it feels like. And especially with all the shifting and whatnot, you know, I, I, I wish they get rid of the shifts a little bit. Um, because I feel like that kind of minimizes the, the amount of infield or, or you know, uh, line drive, you know, to, to, to center field, whatever shots you might have, slap singles and whatnot. But I, I'm hoping this increases the hit numbers, Jay. I'm hoping this increases maybe the runs or the, or the action or the, or the amount of double plays or, you know, that, that sort of thing. I don't think it will do it immediately, not with how little I think this is going to make a change. And I think what they're doing is they're trying to make a subtle change where, like, Nobody notices really. And they're like, oh, we're going to try just a little bit more this year. And then next year, just a little bit more this year. It's not going to be an overnight change, but you're right. They're trying to get out of exit velo, right? They're, they're trying to get out of the it's long ball or strikeout and nothing else. People want to see fielders field again. I, I think there's no doubt about that. Um, I'm torn on the shift. I can see good arguments for or against it. It's much like the DH for me where like, I honestly don't care. Whether or not there's a DH doesn't affect how I look at the game that much. Whether or not there's a shift doesn't affect me much. Although I must say, if they're going to suddenly make it illegal to use the shift, uh, uh, Albert Pujols and David Ortiz and a lot of guys who, who had career numbers 280 and 300, whoo, imagine if they, if they had kept hitting without a shift. <laughs> right? Ortiz would still be playing if there's no shift. He right. might come out of retirement if they get rid of the <laughs> shift. Right? So, so uh, I don't know if they'll change that. But I think what they're doing is a smart move. And it's something I often argue about in politics that people don't like where I say, you don't really want big change. Big change hurts you usually, especially when you're a big, big nation like America or when you're a major sport like baseball. Big change usually bites you in the butt. But small change that keeps you on the top and lets you test the waters, it's usually pretty safe. I think they're being very cautious here. So I'm okay with this. You know, I'm curious as well, because it's supposed to um, lighten the ball by like an ounce. And I mean, I, I don't know how much that's going to affect pitchers. I wonder if it's going to take pitchers a little while to, to refine the strike zone if an ounce makes that much of a difference, you know, uh, in, in ball flight, you know, from the pitcher to, to the catcher in that, in that 90 feet, you know, so. That's a great question. As I was talking about earlier with like, I don't know if there'll be, I don't know if there'll be more contact now, right? I think everybody's looking at the hit end of it, but the pitching end of it is actually more fascinating 
because, you know, it, it could be better for knuckleball pitchers or guys who have uh, more action than just blaring the ball across the plate. And I think that's another thing baseball wants. They want, they want more Pedro-type pitchers, less Randy Johnson-type pitchers right now because they're seeing people get bored with all-or-nothing baseball. So you said that you don't really care about the DH, though, Jay? I mean, you, you got no feeling one way or the other? You're, you're not a uh, – I mean – I, I, I like the DH, or I don't like the DH myself. I, or I like the idea of having to figure out, you know, uh, the pitching strategy, you know, like when you're going to change your pitcher out because you're going to put in the, you know, the pinch, the pinch hitter before you change out for your relief pitcher sort of thing. So the, the, the DH for you, you could take it or leave it? I could take it or leave it, although you make a great point. I thought one of the best baseball stories this week or one of the most interesting baseball stories that nobody paid attention to is Jonathan Villar. Uh, Jonathan Villar hit 20 home runs and stole 40 bases with the Orioles two years ago with nobody protecting him in the lineup. Then last year during a pandemic year, he wound up playing on two teams, one of them in Buffalo playing in a minor league stadium, right? And had a horrible year. Now the Mets have signed him and he's going to be basically a utility guy who's on the bench. Here's a guy who just two years ago, the last full season of baseball, 20 home runs and 40 steals. Ooh, and he batted like 270, 280 that year. You, you get him on a real team and a real stadium, not a minor league stadium with some sense of security. He goes right into what you're saying here. Here's the guy who, when you need that pinch hitter where it's time to, to pull your pitcher and you want a guy to come on or you need a pinch runner, here's your man. I, I think that move, it's a bench move that makes the Mets a real contender. They've already made big splash moves like, like Lindor, but now they have that guy that they can put in when there's not a DH in the NL, right? That they can put in as that pinch hitter or pitch runner who they can rely on. I think it was a brilliant move. And so I see what you're saying. Like on the NL side, it's fun to not have a DH. On the AL side, though, I like it too, because then you can have a fourth outfielder and not be like, dang, where do I put this guy? <laughs> right, right? You can have an extra power hitter too. Clinton Yates made an interesting suggestion this week. He suggested it should be optional by the team and they should announce it like three hours before the game. The home team should get to pick if they have a DH or not in both leagues which is an interesting idea. You're playing the Brewers a few years ago and they have all those bats. You don't want no DH, right? <laughs> but if you're playing a different team, you, you, you might want a DH because you might have the edge. So that's a neat idea, but it doesn't change the game enough for me to, to be that worried about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and no, I was going to ask you if you heard the Clinton Yates proposal because I actually really like that idea of the home team gets to, gets to decide, then you've got, you know, four or five hours to – to figure out your lineup afterwards. So that what a great idea. And think about home field advantage in baseball. People talk about home field advantage in basketball and, and in football and hockey, but all of those fields are, are a standard size. Baseball has weird shaped fields. And now you, <laughs> right. And that like, remember when the Astros had that hill and a flagpole in the middle of center field? What was that? How do you put uh, a flagpole in the middle of your field? Right. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Right? Like you add this, they can pick whether or not there's a DH and they only have to tell you a few hours before the game into it. Suddenly, home field becomes really interesting. And then over those 162 games, who gets home field advantage becomes even bigger. I love the idea. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I mean, ho hopefully, hopefully the powers that be heard, heard Clinton Yates this week then because uh, that man needs, uh, needs to get some props on that and need to, need to take a look at it maybe for, uh, for next year. So what about the other rule changes then, Jay? Are you, are you good with the, with the seven-inning doubleheaders, for instance? I am. I wonder, I think this is a good thing. Uh, I have a 10 year old son, for example, right? Uh, I think this is a good thing for kids who play six and seven innings of baseball in little league all the time, who now can go to a doubleheader, right? And, and see both of the games and relate to exactly how the game works in an odd way. I understand it's coming in because of the pandemic, but again, baseball is looking at ways to shorten the game. And now you buy a ticket to a doubleheader, 
you get to see two really great pitchers. It's changed the strategy a bit. I mean, look, if there weren't seven inning uh, doubleheaders last year, I don't know if Trevor Bauer actually wins the Cy Young in the NL for the Reds of all teams. Man, the, the Reds don't have enough bullpen. Bauer basically has got to go all <laughs> six or, or all seven to get those wins that he got, right? Yeah, that yeah. bullpen's going to give it up, right? <laughs> so, so this adds a whole different level to it. I, I've gone to a lot of doubleheaders in my life, and I got to tell you, I, I've left early a lot too. So I, I kind of like this, this, and I also like the extra inning rule, except for maybe in the playoffs. I'm torn. Uh, you know, last year I think they went, but to not having the man on second for extra innings in the playoffs, and I think I might do the the same thing here. I might make it like the NFL does. I might make it so that extra innings are different in the playoffs, but during the regular season, I'm fine with this. Yeah, the extra innings, man. I mean, the guy on second. I mean, is, is that something you want to start right at the 10th? Because I heard uh, an, another uh, sports commentator mention, you know, hey, look, I don't mind the idea, but what if we start like in the 12th inning? You know, like, you know, is that something you want to go to right, right in extra innings? Yeah, again, I, I, I like this. Uh, why not shorten the game? I mean, you got remember how much of baseball also relies on the gate, right? Like baseball makes a lot of money because you get 81 home games usually, not in non-pandemic years, right? And then you stop selling your beer and concessions at like the seventh inning stretch or the eighth inning or something. These games that go on forever, people are bored, things go wonky. The exception again being playoff games when people are staying until the end because it's exciting. So I think it's fine for regular season. There's 162 games, man. If you can't, if that's gonna gonna cost you something, then your team wasn't that good anyway. All right, all right. Now, yeah, yeah, I am. Ah, it's it's weird, you know. Um, it's weird, kind of saying goodbye to things you're used to you know True. Um, and and i mean I, i'm for it I, I i don't know if i can get used to the seven inning double header i mean it's just weird to imagine a baseball game only being a seven innings even if it is a double header when was the last time you went to a double header gosh man I, I was at a fourth of july double header in pittsburgh a few years back and i swear to god we were there from like 105 in the afternoon to like midnight or something it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so even as a fan, I'm not even playing the game and I'm worn out. I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I must say that'd be probably 25 years or something since I've been to a doubleheader, man. Uh, they don't, they just don't do them anymore. So I'll tell you what, if this brings back and brings more doubleheaders, you know, uh, yes. then I'm all for it. Cause I mean, I, I, I love let's play two, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's play two. That's um, exactly right. And you can, you can get these complete game seven inning ones and maybe there's a little asterisk next to them, but it's still fun. A guy only has to go seven now to get a complete game shutout or something. And that's fun. And, you know, and I guess as long as you make it so that it, it, each, each of these teams is playing like an equal amount of double headers. So nobody's like, Hey man, <laughs> you know, you got to play 10 double headers. We only played one, <laughs> you know, exactly. There's some other like interesting advantages here too. When you wind up in a situation where like, let's say you have makeup games at the end of the season, you know what I mean? Or like a series gets rained out. You can make up those games pretty easily. Now it's not a big ask to say, do you guys want to play a double header tomorrow? Cause today is rained out. Because now, you know, you're only going 14 innings instead of 18. It makes a big difference, and I think it's going to allow them to stay on schedule a lot better. It's way too early. Haven't even started preseason, but, but who is your World Series favorite? I, it's hard for it to not be the Dodgers. <laughs> just, just, they got Trevor Bauer now. Right, yeah, I yeah. David Price bowed out last year. He decided to not pitch last year because of the pandemic. So you get Price back and you get Bauer now. You add that to, I mean, Kershaw is, is still the name brand, but Bueller has the best stuff. Uh, you got Carrot Top, right? Dustin May, the kid with the crazy red hair. And, and uh, 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 Urias. And you, those guys are, I think they're 23 and 24 respectively. They have like a six or seven man rotation. It's, it's just absurd. 
It's hard to not favor them. But I think the Mets are, are, are the team to look out for as well. They added Lindor. And I think this, this addition of, of Villar as a bench player shows that they're serious about depth in a way they haven't been. And they're getting a lot of healthy Cy Young talent back in their rotation. I kind of feel like, you know, it's hard to, to not say it's the Dodgers. So I'll go ahead and say the Dodgers. But I think whoever wins is going to come out of the NL. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Mets. I almost have to echo you across the board there, Jay. I mean, look, yeah, it's hard not to pick the Dodgers to repeat, especially getting Bauer. But, but you've heard me earlier earlier in the month. I've I've been really high on the Mets. That I have delusions about the Mets, even about the Mets being better than they are across the across the generations, man. So, I, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at the Mets, you know, with Degrom and Stroman and uh, and, and Syndergaard and everybody else and and Trevor May and I, they, like their their starting rotation is just. I mean, it's got to be one of the best in the league, right? Yeah, and now they're, they've added bats. I mean, that, that middle infield with what is it? It's McNeil, uh, McNeil, and now Lindor, and now Villar for off days and a pinch hitter. Like, it, it's hard. A lot of times you wind up with second baseman and shortstops that are there for defensive purposes that aren't great hitters. You know, it's right up the middle there. Your catcher, your second baseman, and your shortstop, you don't usually get uh, a lot of bats out of. If you have good hitters in those positions, you don't really have holes in your lineup, right? You're almost always going to have good hitting outfielders and good hitting corner infielders. But if your middle infielders can hit two, now you're an issue, uh, one through nine. And granted, they're the NL, like you said, so there's, there's no DH, so that's a little bit different, right? They have a one-week spot at pitcher. So I'll say one through eight, they're going to be hard to hit. That makes them a real contender. If they can stay healthy, they're, they're, they will end up in the, the NLCS against the Dodgers. On the AL side, I... I guess it's the default Yankees, to be honest with you. Apparently, you know, Stanton and Judge finally aren't powerlifting so much. They're, they're going to be a little uh, less bulk, a little faster. Uh, and the Astros now, with Springer gone, we're, we're seeing the World Series they paid for. You know, you pay for things sometimes later on a credit plan. Springer's gone, and I don't know how well the Astros hold up. I think they're still a playoff team, but I don't think they get back to the World Series. Yeah, no, I, I, the AL, I feel like, is, is harder to find a – a definitive team outside the Yankees, you know, the, the NL, like you said, you got the Dodgers, you got the Mets who are up and coming. I even like the Padres, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, so like the, the, the NL, I feel like is loaded with a, with, with a bunch of teams that, you, that could make the series, the, the AL, I'm, I'm not, you know, entirely too sure outside of the Yankees who I really like, you know, I mean, there's, you know, any team can do it, obviously. I mean, we've seen it across the last couple of seasons, but, I mean, the White Sox are maybe a year or two behind the Padres, but they look like the team that if they advanced quickly or suddenly could, could give the Yanks a run for their money. But you're right. The NL is stacked and the AL, even with their DH looks, looks a little weak. I don't think anybody's going to favor a team out of the AL this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think, I mean, you, you said the Sox, maybe the, the Blue Jays, maybe, but I mean, I feel like still anybody, they're all in the AL East, you know? So if it's not the Yankees, it's going to be like the Rays again, or it's going to be the Blue Jays, you know? And, uh, uh i'm uh i'm in between I'm, I, I don't know i mean so yeah nl looks really good this year i mean i would have said the padres um before the mets made all those moves uh was was my dark horse team to to overtake the dodgers but now i'm now i'm stuck between the mets and the padres man so this, this... <laughs> yeah yeah the mets have definitely made a move on the padres there's no doubt about it the nl is going to be exciting to watch somebody will rise up out of the al it's just hard to say who it is who knows maybe you're right maybe it will be the blue jays the rays I think I think they're they're done unfortunately, but I enjoyed watching uh, uh, Kevin Cash work down there. He's been my manager of the year for two years in a row, so I'm not going to put it past him. That's for sure. 
All right, and Jay, we talked about how uh, how baseball has been kind of, you know, changing up, you know, tradition with the seven-inning doubleheaders, putting the man on second. Over in the NBA, Mark Cuban kind of changed up tradition without anybody noticing as he decided he wasn't going to play the national anthem for the, for, for, for the first, uh, well, 13 games of the season until somebody noticed and said something. So how do you feel about the anthem here, Jay? I mean, I, I don't want to get too whatever heated, but more just – does the anthem belong, you know, in sporting events? I mean, it's become one of these things. It's tradition. We play it before every sporting event. We hear it all the time. If anything, it's the only time most people hear the anthem. It, does it still have a place uh, before sporting events? On some occasions, but not at all 162 baseball games, not at all 82 uh, 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 basketball games, not at all 16 football games. You know, and I think what Mark Cuban did here was a really brilliant move. He, he diffused the bomb in the room. He took the elephant out of the room, right? And literally, it took a dozen games before anybody noticed that he moved the bomb, right? And Cuban is a guy who got burnt by the, this anthem debate before. He said, well, I'd like my guys to stand for it. There's actually a rule. They have to stand for it. We, we really should stand for it. There's a rule. And the NBA was like, well, we're not really going to enforce that rule. And he's like, okay, you're not going to enforce that rule. And then people who wanted him to stand were mad. And he's like, found himself in a situation where he's damned if he does and he's damned if he don't, right? He, he, there, it's a no-win situation. So he did this smart thing. Remember, people did not play the national anthem before sporting events prior to World War I and World War II, prior to war efforts. We're not at war right now with anything but a pandemic, <laughs> right? So I don't feel that we need it. And what's amazing to me about the NBA, which has been so forward-thinking and so smart about these things, is that they're now, they've now made a rule so that they can ignore one rule. They're saying, we're gonna make you play the national anthem so we can ignore the rule and allow our players to protest it. They're literally only making people play the anthem so people can protest it. They're giving them something to protest. I don't see any other explanation for it. And that's kind of disturbing. When you're like, oh, there's this really heated debate. It's very divisive. America's really, really torn apart by it. You know what? We're gonna insist you keep this debate going. I, I, I've complimented Adam Silver. I've called him the best commissioner of all four major sports in North America for a long time now. Uh, but I'm going to have to debate that if he doesn't change course on this, because this is a really bad move, not just for the NBA, but for America as a whole. And I think the only, the only upside to it for the NBA is that it gets more people following their Twitter feed and their post-game press conferences and that sort of stuff. They're creating consternation when they could easily have games without the anthem and no one would really notice. Cubans already proved that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, look, there's sometimes maybe like, you know, play for the Super Bowl, play for an all-star game, you know, play for a uh, for... Memorial Day game. Yeah. Uh, well, you, know, you asked about the Pledge of Allegiance the other day. Some schools say the Pledge of Allegiance, some don't. At my school, they don't every day. But, you know, when they have military events because we live near an Air Force base, a Wright Pat Air Force base. When, when they have, we have the Air Force in for events, the kids say the Pledge of Allegiance and there's the national anthem and all that sort of stuff because we're supporting the military during a military event. That's totally the way to go. But every game, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's why I asked about the pledge when I started thinking about this. Is that was something that, you know, I hadn't thought about in a while. And, and I also, uh, I recently watched The Man in the High Castle, which is an <laughs> Amazon series about what if the uh, Germany had won World War II. And, and it's just a lot of the indoctrinization of the Nazi party, you know, in children and whatnot. And it's just, it just got me thinking about the place for these things, where they need to be, how hard we need to press them, and why we're pressing them. As you said, Cuban took the bomb, you know, out of the building. You know, it's like, look, we're, we weren't arguing about the anthem for, for reasons that we were arguing about the anthem. We were arguing about other things, you know, and we were using the anthem as, as something to, to jump on while we were arguing about them. And, and we were getting, you know, lost in the message. And even now, in some ways, we are still because we're talking about the anthem and not about the actual uh, social injustices and things that, that uh, 
that these athletes were endeavoring to uh, to try to fix. You know, so I, I, I'm with it. I'm, I'm fine with you know removing the anthem and only playing as you said, like like you know, in proper occasions and whatnot. Yeah, it, it seems like a silly argument. I'm just disappointed the NBA wants to to. It's like an instigator, right? It's like that kid at the lunch table who was like, hey, did you hear what Sally said about you, right? And then like, they're trying to start a fight. It's like, let it rest, guys. Let us enjoy the game. Exactly, man. Exactly. It's over. We're all ha- – we're not happy, but we're getting there. <laughs> oh, no, and I'm happy for players, too. Like, I don't have a problem with players having names on their jersey or statements on their football helmet or talking about political events during the postgame show. That, that's their right, but I just don't see a reason to instigate at the start of every sporting event. Good God. Hey, man, that's about all we got for this week. Uh, there's obviously going to be a lot more. I'm sure we're going to have some quarterbacks moving in the next week. I'm sure we're going to have some NBA updates as we get further into that season now that uh, now that it's going to take full, uh, I guess, take the full spotlight, right, Jay? It's going to be NBA time for a little bit before baseball starts up. Basketball and hockey, that, that's it for the next month or so. All right. And, and anything uh, you've got coming up in, in your world, Jay, you want to plug right here? Not really, man. We have had back-to-back snow days up here, which has just been great. It's been nice to take a sudden surprise holiday, or at least a, I'm still working, but to see my kids take a sudden surprise holiday in the snow has just been wonderful. So, yeah, I, I, I think t- family time is a thing I'm plugging this week. Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. It's, it, it's, it's a perfect Mardi Gras weekend to just hold your family close and tight and, and hopefully stay warm as well. All right. Uh, be sure to check out Jackson the Kid, our other podcast. And if you're a Twitch fan, uh, check out Casey Jones's Twitch, VBE20. I think he recently rebuilt the Minnesota Timberwolves. So if you're (laughs) always something interesting he's doing over there. So check it out. Otherwise, we are the Tailgate Kings here every week, uh, dropping usually on Fridays. Check us out on the website, www.thetailgatekings.com, on Instagram, thetailgatekings101, and, of course, on Twitter at Kings Tailgate. Otherwise, we'll be back next week. We're now on the Tailgate Kings with Dr. Die and Jason Reynolds. Have yourself a fantastic weekend.